0: Let's do this. Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. Holy crap, holy, I'm freaking excited today because guess what? I've had my mama on here twice. I've had my younger sister, Laurel, on here once. And now I'm bringing on, oh, and I had my amazing husband, Blake, right? And now I'm bringing on my other sister. I have one more sister that you have yet to hear from. Hopefully soon I'll be able to get her on because she's the shiz. But this sister is my girl, Janine. She and I are five years apart. And holy crap, Willie, this human is, (sighs) there literally aren't words. She is one of the best humans I have ever known in my whole life. She just has the biggest heart and the most amazing desire to love to lift to serve to bless to help to inspire like this girl will do anything and everything for you if you're familiar with enneagrams like she is a 2 through and through like my my family likes to joke like she is an enneagram 2 wing 2 like she loves you she's going to serve you she's just thinking about you and she is amazing 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 and she and I, we were actually texting today and she was like, oh my gosh, I totally had a dream last night that you had me on your podcast. And we were just chatting about it. And it was totally one of those like spur of the moment, like, well, do you want to do it like today? (laughs) Like We can can do it today. And uh, we can totally share this amazing message that you have with other women and other mamas out there. So this is going to be a totally different sort of episode because Janine is not a mom, quote unquote, in the sense that she has never given birth to a child that is alive. <laughs> I guess we can say it like that, right? She, she has carried a lot of children, not 100% sure how many, um, because her body is unable to get a positive pregnancy test at home. But there's speculation that she has miscarried seven times. And she and her husband have been married for five years and they have never prevented having having children on their own. And they've never been able to conceive. She's never been able to fully carry a healthy, strong baby to full term and give birth to them. Okay. That's how we'll word it. But that does not mean that her desire to be a mama is not there. So without further ado, I don't want to take all the words out of her mouth. So without further ado, my girl, I'm probably going to call her Neen, Nini, Bean, Janine. Just know it's all the same person. Okay. <laughs> so, Neen, hi. Welcome. Hi. I'm
1: so excited. I wasn't sure how to follow that intro. I got all teary and it was like, no, no. <laughs> oh, no, no, really, no. Really? Oh, no, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited. You're amazing. I think that dream was fortuitous, it was the right time.
0: I'm glad I texted you this morning. I'm really excited about this episode. So I think it'll be good. Same girl, same. So walk us through like motherhood from your perspective and your eyes.
1: Okay. So, uh, like you said, my husband and I have been married for five years, um, never prevented. Um, we have had a couple of confirmed miscarriages. We've had three confirmed we suspected we were pregnant, never had a positive test at home. Just kind of waited hoping that some other signs and indicators would show up, but always had to wait at least to the 6 week mark to get to the OB um and never made it past that point. And so um three confirmed miscarriages, our last one was on Father's Day of last year. And that was Brought a whole new meaning to Father's Day for us, for sure. Like 2021 Father's Day or 2020? 2020. Okay. And sorry, yeah, 2020. Father's Day 2021 has come and gone. So yeah, Father's Day 2020. Um, that was the first Father's Day that I couldn't see my dad. Um, and that was the first Father's Day that I couldn't see my stepdad. He requested for Father's Day that he wanted time just with our mom. Um, and Jackson's dad, my husband, Jackson, his dad had to work. And so we celebrated another year of us not being parents and my Jackson, not being a dad without being able to see our dads. And so it was a very, that was a year that I definitely celebrated heavenly father as a dad. That was a, that was a tough father's day, but that was our last miscarriage, um, And after that, we just kind of decided that maybe it wasn't in the cards for us and we weren't going to, we weren't really sure how much longer we wanted to, to try or how much longer we wanted to, to fight it. Um, and so we started really seriously considering what other alternatives existed, what other options for parenthood existed for us and, um we had been licensed as foster parents, we licensed for foster care in 2018, but we had never taken a placement. Things had the timing had never been right for us, but in uh June of 2020 after that Father's Day we started really seriously preparing. We knew the time wasn't quite right, but we knew that was the direction we wanted to go, and so we started actively preparing to get us closer to the phase of life that we felt like we needed to be in where we could comfortably and realistically foster kids. So that was kind of our pinnacle, uh, fork in the road. We were ready to switch gears and change tracks and head from one direction to another.
0: I love that. So backing up just a little before we'd like dive into foster care, what, what are your like obviously you've never prevented, you've miscarried at least three up to potentially like up seven times, right? Have you ever considered like IVF and all the other things like that you can do to get pregnant, whatever?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, we considered surrogacy really, really heavily in 2018. We interviewed a couple of women to be potential surrogates. We picked one and, we moved forward with her until we learned a little bit more of the logistics for the legalities in Utah. Um, and Utah has some funky laws in place when it comes to surrogacy. And we decided surrogacy in Utah was not for us. We could pursue surrogacy again when we did not live in Utah, but it wasn't going to be feasible, um, within, within Utah's laws and Just boundaries. what, what,
0: why, what is so I about that part
1: of our problem is that we suspect I have um that very few of my eggs are usable, most of them are damaged um, and so we need a surrogate and we need her to be an egg donor and the state of Utah used that as a mother giving up a child for adoption, so she would have to sign adoption papers, like she was giving up a child for adoption, and the surrogates that we had settled on um. They both were willing to do it. But when they spoke with their husbands or their support systems, they all had secondary concerns. And we had concerns about having someone sign. We knew going at it from the angle of surrogacy and artificial insemination that it wasn't really going to be like that. But having the state view it that way kind of made us second guess whether or not surrogacy was something that we really wanted to pursue. And so we looked at it in 2018. We didn't like the laws, the boundaries, the restrictions that we found. And so we kind of put it on the back burner. Um, We're not opposed to surrogacy. It's just not something that we're interested in pursuing right now with the current laws and regulations. Um, And in 2020, we saved really, really hard and started working with our doctors really closely to figure out what
0: our options were for IVF or IUI. And for the ignorant people out there, um, myself included, what's the difference? What's the difference between IVF and IUI?
1: IVI or IVF is in vitro fertilization. It is um, from what I understand, it's a fertilized baby in a lab with an embryologist, and you implant an already fertilized zygote, so an already existing baby. And you hope that it attaches, and in a couple of weeks you test for pregnancy to see if the already alive zygote transfers
0: and can become a sustainable pregnancy. So that's IVF. That's why IVF is so expensive because yes. it's on already fertilized yes. egg. It's already yes. a baby. Okay.
1: It's already a baby that an embryologist is watching and implanting. Um it reduces the the challenge of sperm finding egg and egg implanting and Um, it takes all those complications out. All that has to happen is that zygote has to attach. And so in theory, it has a pretty good success rate because the hard jobs are done. It's just one job left that the body can traditionally do if everything else is right. It's creating a perfect case scenario kind of a thing. So that's IVF. IUI is intrauterine insemination, which is um, it's not artificial insemination, but it would be taking your partner's sperm and um, implanting it after forcing ovulation. So you yourself would ovulate an egg, the doctor would help fertilize it, taking the risk of sperm reaching far enough or waiting for an egg to be there on time, creating a scenario that could be perfect, but still trying to let sperm and egg do their thing. Um, IUI is a little bit cheaper. It's not as expensive as IVF because it doesn't involve scientists watching your zygotes and freezing them and storing them and pulling them out later. Um, IUI involves a lot of timing. Um, and so we had really incredible health insurance and we had money set aside and we had, um, my husband's company was willing to split the cost with us 50, 50. And so we had a lot of really wonderful resources. So we went forward with trying to, trying to go forward with it. And we had another miscarriage. Um, they wanted us to try to induce ovulation with medication to see if we could kind of start the process for IUI, but still try to do it at home without um, invasive procedures um, and had a miscarriage. And it was our third documented miscarriage, which when you have three miscarriages, it unlocks the restrictions that most health, most health insurance companies have, that you can have more invasive procedures done to figure out why you're miscarrying. Um, So that started us on our path of testing. And I was diagnosed in January of 2021. I was diagnosed with APS, which is antiphospholipid syndrome. Um and uh I will explain it in just a sec. Okay. It is important to know in connection I have APS and I have Asherman syndrome. Um Asherman syndrome is scarring to the uterine wall that prevents any egg from attaching. Um antiphospholipid syndrome is a blood clot disorder where your body views um foreign things, things that aren't normally there, like a baby as if it was a blood clot and focuses all of its attention and resources to kill it. So my body, my uterus doesn't have space for a baby to attach. So if a baby somehow can attach the APS finds it and views it as an enemy or a target and does everything it can to get rid of it. Um, Those two things in connection make it absolutely impossible for me to ever carry a full-term pregnancy myself. Um, My uterus can't handle it. And my uh lymphatic system won't support it. It um there, I I'd have to trick my body that a baby wasn't there. And if I were to trick my uterus into thinking that nothing was there, the baby wouldn't get the important support that it needed in the first trimester. And so it would be um a non viable pregnancy, likely to have a stillbirth in the third trimester or have a late-term miscarriage in the second trimester. So it just is not really feasible for us. It's just not really. An option. We have a lot of complications and barriers in the way, but, um, for us, I know for a lot of women and I have a lot of dear people in my life who have been diagnosed with varying stages of of infertility or varying diagnoses, um, that it can be earth shattering and life changing, and it can be devastating for us. It felt like an answer and it felt like permission. We weren't really sure if foster care was the right path for us, we'd always been interested in it and we'd wanted to pursue it, but we didn't know if we had exhausted every option enough that we could abandon one and go to the other. Um, and so it felt like a very clear answer, almost like a gift from heaven that like, Nope, you did absolutely everything you could because of these two conditions. You can't possibly do IVF or IUI they're not going to help with your specific problems. Neither of them can do anything to fix it. And we'd already looked into surrogacy and it wasn't an option. And we thought if we're going to adopt, why wouldn't we adopt through the foster care system? And so that really pushed us and gave us the 100% green light that, yep, you can foster. This is the right choice for you and your family. This is the right thing that you can do. So no holding back anymore. It's time to run full force at
0: it. It's time to foster. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, oh my gosh, can we all just like slow clap for this human? <laughs> just already. Right. But, um, I remember when she very first told us and our family about like her desire to foster and I had literally just finished reading girl, wash your face. And I was like, Janine, you need to read or listen to girl, wash your face because you <laughs> <it> literally <laughs> She literally has a whole chapter about her experience with foster care. And she like says in that, in that book, like, um, don't, I I can't remember. It's been a long time since I read that book, but something along the lines of like, that was freaking hard. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, Janine, like, you need to know what you're getting yourself into type thing. And, and she was like, don't worry. Like I've listened to it. I've already read it type thing. I already know. And I still want to do it. Right. And I just, as my experience with like, I I was just a kindergarten teacher, right? Not just, I was a freaking awesome kindergarten teacher, but I had, I had a couple of kids in my, in my class that were foster care students. And there was, well, one that I can really just like, oh my gosh. And I loved her so much. And it was totally one of those, like, she's here, she's safe, she's loved, she's all the things. And then her dad got out of prison, and then like she needed to go live with him, and she ha- couldn't be in my class anymore. And she was being separated from this family who loved her. And I just watched that and being, I was just the teacher, right? Like I wasn't even the foster mom or whatever, but I was like, no, like, I mean, I'm so excited for you that like your dad is doing a little better, but like I hope that he's going to be okay and I'm going to miss you so much. And so I just like, Oh my gosh! All the heartstrings that were pulled just for me as the teacher, right? I was like, mean, like I don't know if I don't know if your heart can handle that. Like I don't know, and and so me, the protective big sister, was like, no, like I know better than you. You shouldn't do that to yourself, right? <laughs> and and but watching her and her husband over the last couple of years as they prepared, as they We had, we were over there and we were staying at their house and like something you need to know about Janine is that she, like, she is the best aunt in the world. Like (laughs) legit. She is that aunt that like, when we go and stay at their house, I don't have to bring a gosh dang thing besides clothes for my kids because she has diapers, she has white noise machines, she has a pack and play, she has blankets and stuffed animals and a whole playroom. She has sippy cups, she has bottles, she has, you know, like literally everything. Tylenol, children's Tylenol, bath toys, like (laughs) literally, like I don't have to bring a gosh dang thing besides clothes. And and she just has always been so, so I don't even know like well prepared well she just she's aware she knows she pays attention and and she's willing to give and share and um we were over at their house Uh, a couple months ago and they had a foster care like interview at that time and it was one of those like awesome you have five people staying in your house and you guys their house is beautiful and immaculate and when we come to visit it is not beautiful and immaculate because that's just life with (laughs) three kids who are five and under it's fine so we like cleaned up and got cleared out and all the things and they had this interview and i just remember just being so in awe at at them and they like. They want this type of placement, so they go out and buy a crib and a and a toddler bed. And okay, now the now we want this type of placement, and we might get this kind of kid. So okay, let's sell the crib and get this kind of bed instead, and let's completely rechange things. And oh my word, I'm just like K okay, one. That sounds exhausting. But two, y'all are making it look like a piece of cake because <laughs> you're just so on it, so on it. And um, anyways, like if foster care was ever meant to be for anyone, like. These two humans like should be in the dictionary or the glossary or whatever it is, of like their pictures should be there. Right. So uh, I love your desire and I love your heart, and you're just an amazing human. So, so tell us everything we should know about foster care and your experience. Oh, well,
1: I think having been, I've been a licensed foster mom for three and a half years now. And so it has been something that we have to regularly take continuing education classes. Um, and we have to regularly attend trainings. And so even in the years that we didn't have placements or it wasn't the right time for us, we still had to actively be learning and growing and preparing. And there were times where we were open for placements, um, and we would have to shut the door again quickly. Something would change. And so we would have to change our availability or change what child we were accepting. And through all of that, I think some of the biggest things that I've learned about foster care, um, I think the first thing to really know is that it's it's not about you, in any way. Um, the children that come into your home will learn about you, and they will learn about who you are and what you believe in and what matters to you. But none of that matters to them. When they come into your home, they are looking for a safe grown-up. And the basic necessities met, they are looking for signs of trauma and how to get out of traumatic situations. They have an escape route for every potential thing that could go wrong in your home. They have endured things that we as grownups probably could not have ever begun to imagine until these kids came into our lives. And knowing when they come into your house, that it's not about you. It's not about telling them that you have graduated from college and that you worked in a clinic for a year and that you and your husband have been married for five years and you have the best family in the world. They don't care about you. They don't want to read your resume. They want to see a safe human in a safe home. And they want to know that, that they don't need to have their guard up in your house, that they can come in and find stability and safety and that you are a person that they can, they can let their guard down with. Um, so I think that's the first thing to really remember as hard as it is to remember fostering, literally, it's just not about you. It's just not in any way. It's not about you. Um, The second thing that I would say is really, really important to remember for fostering. These kids aren't bad. They're not bad kids. They very, 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 very few kids in Utah are in foster care because of something that they did. It is something that was done to them, whether it was abuse, neglect, their parents are in prison, their parents have died. Um, their parents have abandoned them. They are not in the system because they did something bad or scary or illegal. Something was done to them. And that's why they're there. You don't need to be afraid of them. You don't need to be scared of what they're going to do in your house or what they're going to steal from you or what they're going to do to you. Um, they're, they're not bad people. They are tiny humans who have endured intense trauma and your job as a foster parent, when you welcome them into your home until you pack their suitcases up and you take them wherever they're going next is to create a safe space and to love and accept them and to help them work through their trauma. But they're not bad kids. They're not bad people they're not people that you need to be afraid of.
0: Um, I love that. And if I can just interject for a second, like, I think already just in those first two points, like one that like, they really are just, they just have basic human needs, right? They don't care about your resume. I I think that's also true of uh, our own children. Those of us who you know, don't have foster kids and whatever, like my kids don't care that I have a bachelor's degree in early childhood education. So I know what you need and I know what you need to learn. Like they don't care. Right. And like alyla today was, we were on our way home from her dance class and she was like, I think you're going to be grumpy tomorrow. You're nice right now, but I think you're going to be grumpy tomorrow. I was like, what? (laughs) And I told her like, Elila, I'm sorry that you think I'm going to be grumpy tomorrow. I'm really trying not to be grumpy, right? And their cute little brains and like big brains or however old they are, they really don't give a rat's fart about like what we have done or what we have accomplished Or who we are, blah, blah, blah. All they care about is that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like they need to have a bed to sleep in. They need to have a safe place that is warm. They need to have clothes on their backs and shoes that fit on their feet and food in their tummies. And they need to know they're loved, right? And then If they know all of those things, then that hierarchy of needs can grow and progress. And okay, now I I know that I'm valued by friends and okay, now I, I can, I can, you know, whatever, look up the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I can't remember it all off the top of my head. But those are those basic human needs that we all have, right? And that's why when like any when we move, it is just, it throws all of us like a major curveball because one of our basic needs is not being met. We don't know where we're gonna sleep tonight. And all of, we don't even know where our hairbrush is or our toothbrushes or whatever, right? Or like traveling. That's why it's so hard for a lot of people. Cause those basic needs are being interrupted, right? And and that second point of they're really not bad. And I think that is true. I really saw that um, not just in my own children's lives, but also as a kindergarten teacher that when, when our kids or when other kids that you have in your life, whether it's through your church calling, through ministry, through teaching, through service, through parenting, through whatever, like I think that statement is true children are not bad. Teenagers are not bad. And they just need to be taught. And, and I think it's one of my favorite things to liken it unto is really truly like, it's, it's like potty training. Potty training is not bad. It's just a thing that you have to commit to teaching. Just like please and thank you, just like, you know, anything that matters to you that you're going to teach your child, you have to commit that, okay, one, this is important to me two, I'm ready to teach it. And three, I'm willing to enforce it over and over and over and over and over and over again. Like, do we wish that on the first try, like, okay, say please. And you teach them once. And they like, remember to say, please always for the rest of time and all for all eternity. Like, of course that would be magical. Right. But that's just not how it works when we're teaching them to have manners. We have to constantly remind them, say, please say, thank you. Say, excuse me, say, I'm sorry. Right. And it, No matter what you're teaching, foster children, children in your life, teenagers, they are not innately bad. They just need to be taught and not just once. They need to be taught over and over and over again. And everyone learns differently. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite stories. I can't even remember what it's called right now, but it's this, I think it's called animal school it's a, it's a YouTube video. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Cause it just randomly popped into my head and that's how the spirit works. <laughs> right. It just randomly popped in my head. Pretty sure it's called animal school. Look it up on YouTube, but it's this concept of like the duck failed at climbing and the squirrel really, really excelled at climbing. Uh, so the duck was labeled as a bad learner. Right. But then when you go to swimming, The duck got an A at swimming and that squirrel got an F, right? And it's just that concept of you have to look for the strengths in the people in your life and help them magnify that, right? We talked about that in the podcast episode that I did with my husband, right? Looking for their strengths and helping them magnify it and helping them to learn in the way that is the most effective for them. If I'm trying to force this duck to climb, And they're just not getting it. That is not the duck's fault. That is not how they were meant to learn, right? And if I'm forcing that squirrel to swim, I'm not. It's like forcing that square peg into a round hole, right? It is not going to work. So, I need to try something new. I need to try something different. I need to try a different approach. I need to try to say it differently. Maybe we need to act it out. Maybe we need to do a little role play. Maybe I need to pair it with movement and music. Maybe I need to get somebody else to talk to them about it because they're just not hearing me and maybe they'll hear it better from someone else, right? Like, there are so many ways to teach, there are so many ways to learn and just knowing that that statement is true of children in general they are not bad and yeah that's all I have to say about that
1: (laughs) I love it I think it's yeah I agree with you it is important to remember that it, it applies to every kid every kid is inherently good I love that And something I thought of when we were talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you were thinking about, you know, imagine that you were on a trip and you, someone made a hotel reservation for you and you have your suitcase full of your favorite clothes and your most valuable possessions that you brought with you, your favorite scriptures, your expensive laptop, your, all your different things. And you get to the hotel that someone else has prepared for you and you walk in and there are visible bugs on the bed and it smells weird and the blankets don't look clean. You are not going to put your stuff on the bed and unpack. You are not safe there. You don't feel like you can put your guard down, that you're willing to get anything out because it's not a comfortable environment for you versus if you went to a hotel that was clean and it smelled good and there was a mint on the pillow and you immediately felt safe and comfortable and you could unpack your stuff. You could put your clothes away. You could get out your most prized possessions and feel okay about leaving them there. That's what happens to a foster kid literally and emotionally when they go from placement to placement, when they go from foster home to foster home, if they don't feel safe, they can't unpack their trauma. They can't work through the things that have happened to them and make progress in their case if they don't even feel comfortable or safe sitting on the bed or opening their suitcase. But if the environment is safe and they feel comfortable, and it's an okay place to put your guard down, you feel like you could leave your laptop and go to breakfast and the maids aren't going to steal it, that that's an okay place to unpack trauma. Um, And so hopefully that's a good analogy for you to consider when it comes to a child being told, I'm going to take you to a home. You have no idea what the people are like. You have no idea what their home is like, what kind of things they eat, what kind of music they listen to, what kind of traditions they have. And it's a, your job as a foster parent, your number one job is to make it safe enough that they can unpack. And not just literally, you want them to unpack their suitcase the night they get there and it's your goal. It doesn't always happen, but you need to create an environment safe enough that they can unpack their mental things and their emotional things. And they can make progress in their trauma and the things that they've experienced. Um, That's really one of the most important things that you can do as a foster parent is to, you know, think about logically how to create the difference between a Marriott and a Motel six. How can you create something that is inherently safe and comfortable and trustworthy versus It's kind of scary. It might be in a sketchy location. Uh, It's not your first choice of where you'd like to be. And um, just kind of looking at it, that's a really, and that's a tangible lesson we can use for any child in any situation is you want to create a safe environment where they can unpack and learn and grow and, um, you know, do it from the, from the safety of the environment that you created for them.
0: I love that so much. And I wanna look this up really quick. Um, while you were talking, I I just had the family, a proclamation to the world come to mind on what success, successful families are built on. And I really love this, this really simple part, but it says successful marriages and families are established and maintained on principles of faith, prayer, repentance, forgiveness, respect, love, compassion, work, and wholesome recreational activities, right? And whether or not you're a spiritual person and believe in God or not, I feel like those types of things, you can have faith in each other. You can pray for each other and have good vibes sent towards another person, right? You can repent, AKA say you're sorry when something happens, whether you're the adult or the child, right? And I always really like, I learned this in my studies, but the words I'm sorry really don't mean a thing to a child. That's too abstract. They don't get it. But instead to ask, what can I do to make you feel better? Or what can I do to make it up to you, right? Um, So repentance and Forgiveness, so not just saying I'm sorry, but being an example of it's all. I forgive you, right? And I've really tried myself and with my children. When someone says I'm sorry, you know, I I try not to say it's okay because a lot of the times it's actually not okay. Like they colored all over the wall, or they broke something that mattered to me, or they hit their sibling or whatever. Like that's not okay. But instead of saying I'm sorry, it's okay. I teach myself and my children. I forgive you instead. Right. I I forgive you. I love you instead of it's okay. Right. And I think sometimes that's just so innate in us to just, I'm sorry, it's okay. Right. And to just consciously change that, um, respect, love, compassion, work, and wholesome recreational activities. Right. Like, Some of my favorite memories as cheesy as it sounds is like. I remember very vividly a time when we cleaned out the garage as a family on Saturday and it was an all-day activity and my mom took us to Taco Bell after and then we went to see Drive Me Crazy that movie with the girl from Sabrina and it was like it was like the best Saturday ever right and we just like made music made music no we listened to music and we were like jamming out to Backstreet Boys in our garage while we're sweeping and it was like a total party right it was so dang fun and I have another very vivid vivid memory with my older sister. We were trying to earn money to go to a movie or something. I don't even know why we were trying to earn money, but we were trying to earn money. And we we were going to earn like 10 cents for every weed we pulled or something like that. So you better believe we were out there for like three hours. And we like came in with like, you know, 300 weeds or way more than that. But my mom, my mom loves to tell the story of like, holy crap, I didn't realize I was going to owe you guys like 500 bucks. <laughs> Not quite, right? But it was so fun. And we, we laughed together, we talked together, you know? And so I really do believe that like when we can work with each other, There really are beautiful relationships that are built and it doesn't have to suck, right? And then also that concept of wholesome recreational activities. I feel like sometimes as foster parents, as parents, I know sometimes I feel guilt around like, why am I always a nice mom when we're gone? Like when we're at the library, when we're at the beach, when we're at the park, like I'm just always a little bit more patient, a little bit more nice. And maybe it's because I know other people are watching me, but I also think it's because, Successful families are maintained on wholesome recreational activities right, and I, when we get out of the house when we do something new, it is a, it breathes life into me it breathes life into them, and so I don't think like mamas I don't think we need to feel shame that like. Disneyland is your happy place or the beach is your happy place or going to the lake is your happy place or going on hikes is your happy place or going to the soccer fields or going to a high fitness class or going to the park or whatever. Like it's okay. If those things are your happy place and it brings out the best in you and your relationship, because that's where successful families are built. Right. And so I'm sure with that, I love that beautiful analogy. And just for some tangible tips of like, both whatever, wherever you find yourself on the parenting spectrum, like that is how to create that safe environment. Like, of course, like, is my home safe? Is it clean? Is it welcoming? Is it inviting? Is it in a safe neighborhood? Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But then in addition to that, with the emotional security, is all those other things, right? That I said, Uh, one more time, I'll repeat them. Faith, prayer, repentance forgiveness respect love compassion work and wholesome recreational activities
1: totally agree love
0: it okay well what else should we know about foster care anything else you want to share with us
1: um i think the last
0: really important thing to
1: learn about foster care if you're even thinking about it or if it's something that's been on your heart or on your mind um it does not take a lot to make an extraordinary difference in someone's life. Um, My husband and I just finished a placement. We took what the state had deemed the unplaceable kids. And they came from what the state had decided was the most challenging case that they had experienced in the last five years. And we were
0: terrified we had no idea what to do with these impossible to place kids in this and it was their first placement if you didn't hear that it was their first ever one, yes (laughs) and we
1: had just moved we were three weeks into our first home and we were three weeks into renovations and we were three weeks in a new town in a new County, three hours away from our families. And so it was like, new, 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 all this new stuff. And I felt so inadequate. I felt so unprepared. I felt like my years of preparation and organization and trainings and accumulating stuff went out the window. The minute I got this call to take these two boys, I just, my brain immediately went to the, Oh, we don't have a bunk bed. Oh, um, I don't have any clothes for kids this size. Um, this is on the opposite spectrum of what I thought I would do. So I don't have a lot of stuff. I have a lot of little kid stuff and I have a lot of girl stuff. I didn't have a lot of teen boy stuff. I wasn't ready to take a teen boy. I can't take a teen boy. I've never done a teen boy. I felt so inadequate. And my husband and I talked the night before the boys came, and we just kept saying, We don't need to have everything figured out. We just need to know that we are willing to take them and we are willing to try. And the weekend that we got them was hectic and stressful. And I spent more at the grocery store than I thought was humanly possible. Uh, (laughs) But uh, we figured it out. My husband and I are successful and we are careful. We are not wealthy by any means. Um, And I thought that it would be impossible. They came to us with no clothing. Um, We had to replace absolutely everything that they had. They came to us behind on their doctor, dental, therapy, eye, every kind of imaginable healthcare visit, they were behind. And we needed to get them ready for school we needed to get school supplies and backpacks and they were teenage boys they had expensive taste and i i remember thinking who am i to take these kids i am a young inexperienced financially inadequate human that i have no business taking these kids and i had wanted to foster Since I was 14, I had had my eye on fostering since I met a girl in foster care. And I was so in awe with her and her life and her story that I wanted to foster too. And here I was fostering and that imposter syndrome just kept sneaking in that I was just so inadequate that I couldn't do it. And we gave it everything that we had. We did not have enough money to get things done but we did it in the order we thought we could and we made it work. We always had food on the table. The boys always had what they needed. We were able to seriously, with the help of heaven, get them full closets in a matter of two or three days. And um, they both, while they were with us in our homes, earned money to buy video game consoles and games. They both, I think looking back, our older son earned like $300 and our younger son earned like $600 and those were not dollars that we had but we figured out how to make it work and we we were not extraordinarily prepared people we are not above average or special superhuman people that had 10 extra bedrooms and thousands of dollars to spend on these kids we were very average humans with a desire to love and support kids in our community and heaven made the way for the rest of it and we just we put our heads down and we got to work and the ends met and everything worked out and we by the time the boys left us they had made phenomenal progress in therapy in their relationship with their parents in their relationship with each other the way that they talked about themselves Changed. They didn't say horrible negative things about themselves. They had positive things to say. They had positive things to say to each other. They were good team players in our home. And we had, you know, most of the time we had a pretty peaceful home and a pretty peaceful environment. And we, very plain, very ordinary, very young, inexperienced people, were able to make an extraordinary difference in
0: these two kids' lives. And a short amir- amount of time too. Yeah. They were only with you for like, what, six weeks or so? Like,
1: We got them end of June and they left early September. So we had them for like two months, maybe like nine weeks. Um, it was not long at all. <laughs> and it was significantly shorter than we thought it was going to be from what we were told originally, but they made, they made progress quickly. And so we were able to change things and it just, It does, you don't have to be a superhuman to foster. You have to be willing to try and you can figure absolutely everything else out. You can figure it out. I I promise because we were very unprepared and very inadequate when we started and we, we were able to figure it out and we were able to do good things for those boys.
0: So from the perspective of like someone who already has her own children, what advice do you have for like, if it's a foster care situation where you're bringing in someone where you already have your own kids and you're whatever introducing this? So
1: obviously my perspective on this is limited because I don't have this personal experience. Um, When we got the call for our boys, I did have my nephew and he was with me and I have had my nephew in my home regularly for long amounts of time ever since my husband and I got married. So he's not my son, but he's a child that I've had in my home for a long amount of time that I'm used to, that my husband and I are used to. So I have had the experience of introducing foster kids to a child that was already in my home. Um, It's hard it's it's absolutely not possible if not everyone in the family is on board. You all have to be in agreement that you have room, that you have time, and that you're willing. If even one person is not on board, it can't work. Every single wheel on that train has got to be rolling forward or that train's going to get stuck. And so, for us, we asked our nephew beforehand if he was okay with us taking this placement. And he was over the moon. He was so excited about more boys coming to the house. I've never been so outnumbered in my life coming from a family of all girls. Unreal. How many boys were in my house, (laughs) but he was on board from the beginning and my husband was on board. And so we were able to mesh that the change in expectations and the change in routine and the Normally, it would have looked like this, but today it's going to look like this. Or with these kids, it needs to look this way instead of this way. That I think you and your husband have to be in 100% agreement. You both have to be on board. And then you need to bring your kids in and you need to explain with your children that these kids aren't bad, but they've been through hard or bad things, and that trauma manifests with ugly behaviors so they might not be kind humans they might not share very well they might throw temper tantrums they might accidentally break your toys but they are coming from a scared place and they just need a safe home and some safe kind friends for a little while and i think if your if your family is in unison you can have harmony and you can you can make progress if there's any discontent, it's not going to work as well as it could. Um, and I think it's important when you're preparing your bio kids for a foster care placement that you make sure you have the time to continue to dedicate to each of them evenly or as evenly as you possibly can. Your foster child is naturally going to demand more time and attention, they have more troubling behaviors, they have more appointments, especially if reunification is on the table when a foster child has been removed from the home, but they're trying to go back home. Um, There's lots of court dates involved and there's lots of meeting with family counselors and guardian ad litems and lawyers and all these different meetings and all these different people and that can take a lot of your time. So making sure that you actually really do have the time to dedicate to all of your children evenly to keep your marriage a priority. Don't take on more than you can handle. Don't intentionally drown yourself trying to be the savior, but, you know, come at it from a place of, of unison, um, with the right intention in mind. And, um, you can, you can blend it together. You can blend bio kids and foster kids together really well.
0: I love that. And I had a couple of thoughts while I was listening to you um, kind of back on that, like they're not bad situation and things we've already referenced. One thing that I just wanted to add was my kids and I have the conversation regularly of like Ellie is in that phase right now. She's 18 months old where she's spilling everything and ripping everything and dropping everything and, you know, that phase and there's been so many times where my kids are like Ellie is a bad baby and and I always try to correct them Ellie is not a bad baby she made a bad choice she made a bad choice and or she made a mistake right but that does not equal she is bad right and that's the difference between shame and guilt right guilt equals i did something wrong Or I did something bad and shame equals I am bad, right? And so just being aware of like in your own mentality and teaching your children, if you're bringing in these foster care people, like, are they capable of making bad choices? Yeah, absolutely. Are they capable of making wrong choices? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Does that mean that they are bad? No. And just knowing and recognizing that difference for yourself, teaching your spouse, teaching your children, and teaching those foster kids, right? Um, So I just wanted to add that. And then the other thing I wanted to share about like when you were talking about quality time, I'm actually doing this challenge right now. I referenced it in the last podcast episode, but I'm doing this challenge right now where I wanted to spend quality time with everyone in my family. And I I chose not to put a time limit on it because I will totally turn into that. Like, okay, wait, 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 we can't play yet because I got to start my timer first. Oh, okay. Okay. Now we can ready. Go. Oh, okay. My timer just went off. We're done playing together. Right? Like, I don't want to turn into that person. And so I just like, I'm just going to spend quality time with every single one of my, one of my people. And it's been really beautiful. Today is day nine of the, or day 11, actually day 11 of this challenge that I'm doing. And it has been so beautiful to even just like we went swimming as a whole family and there was like literally probably 45 seconds, maybe a minute where I was just holding my three year old and we, I was holding her close and we were just swirling around in the pool and she was laughing and giggling and I was just like nuzzling her up close. And I totally counted that as quality time that day because it was a Kairos moment for me it was that if any, if you haven't listened to that podcast episode, I did a podcast episode, a few, a little while back, I think it's called like when, when motherhood feels hard or something like that. Um, but looking for those Kairos moments and did I have a Kairos moment with Blake today? Did I have a Kairos moment with Holland? And what about with Elila? And what about with Ellie? Right. Even if it's just as simple as I looked at your face and I, recognized and appreciated your adorable chubby cheeks and your beautiful smile, right? Like that was a Kairos moment. And so that was quality time. Even it doesn't have to be, I sat down and taught you geometry for 14 hours, right? Like I I think sometimes as parents, foster or biological, we have to give ourselves that grace, right? Of quality time doesn't have to mean I spent 30 minutes with you. So I need to spend 30 minutes with you. So I need to spend 30 minutes with you. So I need to spend 30 minutes with you. It can literally be You and I had a beautiful three-minute conversation and you and I had a 30-minute commute while I drove you to soccer practice and you and I had a really meaningful hug and my spouse and I kissed for six seconds and it was a passionate and loving kiss. You know what I mean? Like, So that quality time doesn't have to mean equal time. It it can mean we had a connection today as, as many minutes as that. Means it doesn't matter, right? But just we connected today.: so, I like that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this. And now I'm like, maybe I need to talk to Blake about being a foster parent. <laughs> oh you're so I cool. think
1: anyone who is thinking about fostering, you foster because you love kids, because you want to make a difference because you believe that you can um, you can't foster to be a savior. They already have a savior. They don't need you for that. They need you to make a difference. And some kids, they need you to introduce them to the concept of a savior. They, whether you're Christian or any other denomination or faith, or you are non-denominational or you're non-religious and the concept of a savior is within yourself and, and trusting yourself and, and growing within yourself to save yourself, they don't need you to save them. They need you to teach them where to find a savior, whether it's religious or it's within themselves. I think that's very important to remember. And that goes back to my original point. It's not about, it's not about you. It's about what you can do for them. Um, and I remember when we initially announced that we were going to foster, we had a lot of our family members were a little concerned or a little scared for us they'd heard different things and experienced different things um and i remember someone telling me like aren't you afraid to get attached aren't you afraid to love them and have them leave and my answer then was different than it is now my answer then was that i'm a grown up and i have a full toolbox in my brain my brain is fully capable of processing what is happening and can find the words to name the emotions and I can find the resources and control getting the help that I need. They can't. And that if one of us needs to get hurt, it should be me because I can fix it. I know how to take care of myself. I know how to name what I'm feeling. I know how to find the resources that I need when I'm hurting. They don't have that luxury. They don't, have all the tools that I have. Their brain isn't as developed. They don't control every aspect of their life. that was my original answer was that my brain was an adult brain and that I could handle it and that I would rather get hurt than them. And then my kids left and my, my gut changed from, I want to take this pain because I can take it and I can handle it to I knew the minute you walked into my house, you were eventually going to leave me. And I loved you for every minute that I had you. And I gave you everything that I could. And I'm praying for you when you leave. But I did my part. And I am so glad that I had this time to be with you and to teach you and to love you and to inspire you and to learn from you. And it's time for you to go somewhere else now. And I'm going to pray for your success because you don't always have to be with me to be safe. I don't need to be their savior. I don't need to take all of it. I can love them and support them knowing that they're gonna leave, trusting that I've done everything that I could for them and that I can pray for them after they go and that they'll be okay. And there are things that you can do if your child leaves and the situation is not good. (laughs) There are things that you can do. There are people that you can call there are resources available to you to continue to advocate for them when they're not in your home. And they knowing that they were loved and safe in your home and that you will continue to advocate for them when they leave sometimes is is the best thing for them. And it, every case is different and every situation is different. But I think really going into it with that perspective, you don't have to be the savior. You don't have to be the one to fix it. You just need to do what you can while you're there. And then you need to let them
0: go. Well, and that quote, right, about people may not remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Right. And I remember having similar experiences when I taught kindergarten that I was like that last day of school was just like, oh, my gosh, like this sucks so bad. Like I have cried over these kids. I have prayed for these kids. I have sweat for these kids. I have taught them so much. And now they're just gone. They're just not even mine anymore. And I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, my heart was just like ripped outside of my body like 27 times. Right. Um, but now fast forwarding, it's been like seven years since I had my first class and some, a lot of them are, are following me on social media now and they are reaching out to me and like mrs wise you were my favorite teacher ever right (laughs) that i'm like okay one how are you old enough to have social media but two like (laughs) oh my gosh right like for me it was just like nine months and now they're gone and whatever i okay my heart's ripped out of my body right but to them like i mean you remember right like you remember your favorite teachers and the way they impacted and blessed your life and in this situation they will remember their favorite foster parents, right? They will remember where they felt loved. And then I dare guess that when they're old enough to reach back out to you, they will absolutely come back and thank you for everything you did for me, right? And so it, like in this moment, it feels so heavy and so hard, but this is not the end, right? It's not the end. So, uh. yeah so good. All the feels. I love this. Okay, well, I don't want to like wrap this up, but I'm like I feel like I should wrap it up. <laughs> but, okay, any final closing thoughts for us before I let you go?
1: I think if this has tugged at your heart in any way, if this has made you stop and consider what you could do for foster kids, how you could help, whether you have room, um, first off, I would love to be a resource for you and I would love to answer any of your questions. I, like I said, I've only been licensed for three and a half years. Um, and I am currently in the Uinta basin. Um, so I'm like crazy East Utah. Um, but I'm happy to be an advocate and answer any and all of your foster care questions.
0: Um, so how can people, yeah. How can people find you? Uh, um, what's your Instagram handle? Well, the downside here is my name is stupid, hard to spell. <laughs> so just, just spell it out. It's okay. Uh, I can put it in the show notes.
1: Too. Okay, perfect. So my Instagram handle is Janine D J E A N N E N E D as in dog. Um, it, I have a private account cause I post pictures of my kids and my nieces and nephews, but send me a request or send me a message and we can we can connect on Instagram. I'm happy to answer any and all questions, but the best resource for you, a human that has experienced it is a great resource, but going to your state office is a great resource. Going to the Nevada childcare system or the Nevada foster care system or the Utah foster care system or finding them on social media, um reaching out and saying I'm interested in learning about becoming a foster parent, they will send someone to your home. Straight up to your house. To meet you and to answer every question you could possibly have about fostering and whether or not you are a good fit for foster care. You can foster in your apartment. I have met foster parents who foster in trailers. You can foster in a condo. You can't foster in a fifth wheel. So if you like are hardcore awesome and live on a school bus, you can't foster. I'm sorry, but there are other ways that you can support kids in foster care, but the best resources are either a human that has experienced it, that can point you in good directions, or someone within your state's office that can answer any and all questions that you
0: have. Yeah. I love that. And the thing I want to close out with is just, I love how Janine has emphasized so much that like you, you have to have that desire to help them But then she also, if you were listening closely, right, she also said like that night before her placement came, like, are we really cut out for this? Are we really going to do this? Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, right? So just knowing how many times have I said this in the past, right? Just knowing that anytime you're about to do something big and beautiful and hard and life-changing, fear and doubt always, 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 always creep in. And in my personal experience, you guys know me well enough by now, like that is Satan. That is Satan trying to keep you stuck, keep you safe, not safe. He's not trying to keep you safe. He's trying to keep you stuck. He's trying to keep you small. He doesn't want your life to change. He doesn't want you to change their lives. And so just expecting opposition and just recognizing how how that shows up for you, right? And doubt and fear do not come from God, right? They don't. And so whether or not you're a Christian person or whatever, just recognizing that you have this good desire in your heart to help and be helpful, but just know that it's not going to come with sunshine and rainbows and I've got this. I'm amazing. Right. Like it will absolutely come packed with holy shiz. What in the actual heck am I thinking? Right. And all those doubts and all those insecurities and all those fears. So one last thing
1: really fast. I know we're wrapping up. I swear. My husband and I got called for another placement and I've done this before. And I had the same thought. I had the same imposter panic and I'm stressed in this case is a lot more intense than our last one. And my mom introduced this phrase to me that when you're feeling the imposter, the imposter syndrome creep in that you can interrupt that thought by asking yourself, who am I being called to be in this moment? And so the fear and the panic of this new placement and all the challenges that this kid has gone through and all the things that we're going to endure with him and the panic of who am I to think that I can foster, but who am I being called to be in this moment can interrupt that imposter syndrome and can really help you recenter. You're being called to be a mama. You know how to be a mama. You can do it. You know, you don't have to be perfect at it. You just have to try and that can interrupt and help put the imposter and put Satan to bed and, You can go forward with confidence and peace no matter how terrifying it is with every placement from there on that all you have to do is refocus on who you're being called to be in
0: that moment. I love that. Oh, so many good things. Okay. Thank you, my friends for, thank you, Neen, for being here. Holy kazoli, that was beautiful. And thank you, my friends for listening up, for tuning in. I, I hope you got as many gems out of that. And as I did, and really, truly just remembering that you are you are doing better than you think you are it, with your own biological children, with your desire to serve and love and lift the people in your life, no matter if they are given to you through birth or just the people that you serve, the, the neighbors that you have, the foster care kids that you have in the future, the kids you adopt, your stepchildren, whatever whatever that looks like those people in your life you absolutely have the ability to influence and impact and bless their lives so i challenge you to to do that to strive to make a positive impact in their lives and to give yourself credit for the good things that you are doing to give yourselves grace and to love your people so freaking hard by first loving and taking care of yourself So I love you, my friends. I'll see you next week. All right, you guys, that's it. Thank you for sticking around. If this message spoke to you today, please feel free to share it with someone you love. It would mean the world to me if you would leave this podcast a quick review from wherever you're listening from so that other mamas can find it too. Be sure to find me on Instagram so that we can be friends in real life. You can find me at Bryn Wise. Thank you for making the choice to become a mom. Thank you for loving your kids. Remember that you are doing better than you think you are. Remember to lean on your village. Remember the biggest contribution you make in this world might not be something you do, but someone you raise. And always remember to give yourself grace.